Today's passage is from Revelation 21 to 10. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and de devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, Lord's love. It's good to be back uh, with you uh, this, this morning. Our family had a little trip uh, last week, and we were away, a big family trip to celebrate uh, Bruce, my stepdad's uh, birthday. Uh, it was meant to be for his 80th birthday last year, but then we had Hudson, and we couldn't get his passport. Unfortunately, babies don't come with passports, so we were <laughs> delayed in getting the passport, and we couldn't get out of town, uh, town so we celebrated his birthday uh, last week, and it was a good time of um, celebration. So thank you for praying. Thank you for your comments, and just for, um, I know your, your thoughts and your hearts uh, were, were with us. Uh, this morning, we're continuing on on the series through the book of Revelation, Future in Focus, as Greta, our worship leader, explained and shared uh, beautifully that when we see the future and we understand the future clearly, it helps us to live uh, our lives right now, to see our current lives and our current situations clearly as well. We're coming to the end of our series in September. We have three more sermons, two more after this. So end of September will bring us uh, all the way to the end of, of Revelations. And I don't know what you've been thinking, what your journey has been like, what you've been experiencing through this whole series as we read from what John has penned and what he has seen and what God has revealed to him. Remember the word revelation means apocalypses, meaning unveiling. As God is unveiling uh, certain truths and realities to John, we as a church here in 2023 also receive this reality. And we get to see today clearly as well. And today, in today's sermon, I was trying to think of a, a story to encapsulate or start off, and there really, I couldn't really think of one. Uh, the, the, the conversation and the, the debate that we're going into this morning, we're joining into a 2,000-year-old conversation this morning. It's been a conversation and a debate that's been going on since, basically, Jesus, since when Jesus was around. Uh, when he uh, was born, and he lived, and he died, and he was crucified, and raised again. And then from that moment forward, this conversation, this debate has been going on till this very day. 
what is the what is the debate? I'll get into it in a little bit. I'm just trying to prime us. Uh, th- this debate has gone on through Christian communities around the world, uh, through different theological circles as well. It's almost as hot as the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, uh, whether we have free will or whether God has predestined for us. And as my systematic professor, Dr. Archie Spencer, says, is it possible that we are Calvinians? Uh, that maybe as Christians, as they, uh, we live in a kingdom that's here and not yet, that it's possible that we have free will, but also God has given us, uh, that God has also set certain things in motion in life as well, that we ride in this in-between. And in the words of Daryl Johnson, as we live in this day and age and today, is it possible that the veil between heaven and earth is actually quite thin? That the veil is thin, that as Christians, we actually see and we peek through the veil a little bit especially as we go through books like uh, Revelation. But the debate, what is it? The debate has to do with this word millennium. A thousand years, the word that appears some six times through uh, that, uh, that Evelyn just read for us. Millennium, and I'll use the word millennium referring to the thousand years and also millennial. When I say millennial, I'm not talking about millennials, all right? Uh, I'm not referring to those born between 81 and 96 or 97, uh, all right? Uh, I'm referring to the 1,000 years that Scripture is talking about here. Uh, it, the, the word appears some 11 times in the New Testament. All but one appear in, uh, in Revelations, and six of them re- appear in this single chapter alone. So for the last 2,000 years, theologians and Christians and churches have been debating over this, these 10 verses uh, for the last 2,000 years. And interestingly enough, uh, Peter uses this one word as well. He uses it to describe God's patience, right? What is one day to us is a thousand years, a thousand, uh, a thousand, a thousand to, 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 to God. Uh, so it's all in reference to, to time, uh, for sure. But what, what is this word really about? Well, we see in the passage here today, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to it if you haven't already or on your phones, but is referring to how uh, the, the reign of Jesus here back on earth and also how Satan himself is bound. So for these thousand years, Satan has no control, no power, no reign here on earth, and Jesus is, is reigning. And, 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 and through these passages, there's been three main, we're going to get a little bit geeky here, okay? So we've been three main views of, and three main interpretations of this passage. This is the cleanest uh, uh, diagram I could find. There's going to be a series of three. There's just three views of this. There's the pre-millennials, there's the a-millennials, and there's the post. So pre-meaning, they believe that before these thousand year of, of reign, uh, th- uh, th- before the thousand year reign, and when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus reigns and when Satan is bound, pray for me, I've been struggling this week uh, to, 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 uh, to join into this conversation, that Jesus basically appears, the second coming appears, and then the thousand years of reign would, would, would start. So, and all of this has to, is important, but not really at the end, I'll explain why. Uh, all, all of this is important because all of this is wrapped up in the rapture, the tribulation, when Jesus comes, when the Christians get taken up, when we die, what happens to us? Are we sleeping for a thousand years? Are we reigning with Jesus for a thousand years in heaven? Is there going to be a second resurrection? All those kind of questions uh, um, come to the surface. But pre-millennials, those that believe Jesus comes before the thousand years, are movies like, uh, are movies that you think of left behind, 
All right, you've watched that movie before? Like, you know, all the Christians are raptured up, and then Nicolas Cage appears, right? He's like, oh, I'm still here. And then and if you haven't seen the movie before, he, his, his, he's flying, a, he's flying a, a plane, and then his, his uh, co-captain disappears. Uh, and he's like, what, what's going on here? Half the plane has disappeared. And then he finds his co-pilot's a diary, and he tries to figure out what he's been doing. And then he opens the diary, and then he gasps. The scene pans back to Nicolas Cage, and he's like, <gasps> and then the, the next scene pans back into the diary, and it says Bible study. And I always laugh uh, at that uh, because it basically says that his co-pilot is a Christian, and, you know, he finds out that, oh, other Christians have been raptured. Anyway, so the point here, pre-millennials believe that the second coming happens of Christ and then a thousand years and Jesus is reigning and, and, and Satan is bound. Uh, and why do they believe that this is the case? Well, we read, and, and here's the thing, in all three stances today, there's equal amount of evidence to believe. And at the end of the day, whichever one you ascribe to doesn't really matter because I'll get to my big idea later. But they believe that, hey, because there's still chaos in the world, there's still evil, I still get sick, there's still war going on, like, like Satan cannot be bound, and Jesus cannot be reigning. So when, Satan, when, when, when Jesus comes, we will know for sure uh, the thousand years that we're talking about. Then there's the amillennials. It's not a great translation because ah, a means uh, none, so there's no millennial, that, uh, there's no 1,000 years, which isn't an accurate um, description of the belief. It's the understanding that the first coming came, and then the church age in a millennium, the 1,000 years, it's actually not a literal 1,000 years like the pre-millennials believe. It's a literal 1,000 years that's going to happen. It's actually a symbolic understanding, a symbolic understanding. And I'm going to say right out, and you don't have to ascribe to your pastor's belief, but I'm going to say it out there right, right in the beginning right now that I ascribe more to the uh, millennial view uh, of, of the stance. Uh, so you're like, hey, you're kind of biased. I am. <laughs> so I'll share that with you. But the church age millennium, the 1,000 years is symbolic, and we'll explain what that means a little bit later, that when Jesus came on the cross, on, on the work, as he died and he rose again, that Satan was already bound at that moment. And that, that, that even though we see sin and evil in the world, there's an explanation for that, that the church age and millennium has already happened already. So amillennials. And then there's post-millennialism, which is very similar to amillennials, except for the fact that there's a belief that in the bottom here, uh, you can see in the very bottom, it's really small. Uh, history gets better with the spread of the gospel. So it's the understanding that as Christ came and, he's, uh, and he died and he rose again, that there will be a Christianization of the entire world. And they kind of uh, attribute that to the missions movement. And they attribute that to uh, as more missions happen, as more people come to know Christ, the world will become better and better and better. Now, you're probably thinking there's issues with that because the world doesn't seem to be going in that direction. And in fact, a lot of scripture points the other way that there's a lot of pain and evil and suffering uh, before Jesus uh, comes back. So in the words of Daryl Johnson, the pre-millennial view is too pessimistic. It's the whole idea is like there's those that belong to God and those that don't, so I don't really need to like, because God knows and the rapture will show everything and everything, you know, I, I, we're going to show, it's going to display who's on whose side. And he also says that post-millennials, it's too optimistic. 
that the gospel is going to do its thing, that I don't need to do anything really, that everything is going to become better. And then he says this, which was kind of shocking. The amillennials that think that, uh, just like the post-millennials, that think that the 1,000 years is symbolic, the amillennials are too apathetic. The challenge is too apathetic that, you know what, it's all a symbol. God is doing his thing anyways, and we can just sit back, and everything is going to be okay. So there's a challenge and a critique you cannot read that at all, and that, nor can I. <laughs> so it's a summary, and it, I, I put that up there to remind me to say that if I haven't explained it well enough, which I don't think I have, ask me. I'll send you some more information. There's a lot of articles, a lot of writings on it. But basically, the understanding is that the premillennials believe in a, a literal 1,000 years, and that they believe that in the, when the second coming comes, uh, if Jesus comes, that everything is going to be good. It'll be a 1,000-year reign. Where, where Satan is bound, and then that's when all the Christians will be up there uh, with, with God. And then the millennials and post-millennials believe in a symbolic 1,000 years, that we're in a symbolic age of Jesus reigning right now because of what he has done on the cross already. And we believe that human history, but the difference is millennials believe human history will get worse, and the post-millennials believe that the, his human history will become better. Now, why do I share this? You're like, thank you for the theology lesson. If that whet your appetite, go to a class. <laughs> Systematic theology talks all about this kind of stuff. But as another professor of mine says, Dr. Brian Cooper, he's been here, uh, shared the pulpit with us. He says that all theology is practical. If theology is not practical, it's useless. So what does this mean? Like, what, how do we understand this? What does this have to do with our current day and age. You see, what, no, matter, no matter the view that you have, and church really is not worth dividing over, at the end of the day, whichever stance you take, actually, we don't need to break fellowship over it. Because uh, at the end of the day, these are the big ideas that all three views throughout all human history, the last 3,000 years, have agreed that the best is yet to come. I was talking to Greta just before this, and I was like, pray for me because it's a little bit complicated, the message this morning, because of the theological views and all that. And she was like, when I read the 10 verses, oh, am I in trouble? It's, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. I'm like, and at the end, I'm like, yeah, it is, because Jesus wins. Uh, that's actually the whole message throughout all of Revelations. No matter how complicated, no matter the symbolism, no matter the images and the stories and the complexity of the words, at the end of the day, Jesus wins. And at the end of the day, the best is yet to come, that this world is not it. That's what everyone, all views can agree on. The best is yet to come. And secondly, the future belongs to Jesus, that he knows. Isn't it so comforting to know that the day is won, as has been shared? Isn't it so comforting to know what the future is going to be like? Isn't it so comforting to know that no matter what we go through today, that Jesus wins, that he's at the end, he's going to be at the end of it all, that everything is within his control, that the future belongs to Jesus and that the future is not in our hands. In fact, maybe some of us are trying to create a future of our own and yes, we've got to be responsible we got to live lives that are, that, that are worthy of the calling that we have received using biblical languages. But we're not in control of our future. The future is not in our hands. In fact, the future is going to break in using revelation, language from revelations. The, the future is going to break in. The future is going to come in from the outside into our lives and to change our situation, to change our present. 
So the best is yet to come. The future, the future is not in our hands, and the future belongs to Jesus. These are three big ideas that all Christians and all views on this millennialism agree upon. But as Daryl Johnson also argues, that the thousand, what all three ought to agree, even though they think maybe one thinks that a thousand years is literal, that there is some leeway here for interpretation. That if all the numbers before this, and if you're joining us through Revelations, from Revelations 1 all, all the way to now, there's been a lot of numbers, and all of them, in fact, have been symbolic. So it's difficult. Uh, is a difficult hermeneutical gymnastics, if I use that word. It's a difficult way of interpreting if we all of a sudden say this 1,000 years is literal. If everything before this, we're like, hey, it's symbolic, and I think this is what it means, that 144,000 people that are going to be in heaven is symbolic, meaning all of people, uh, or the number 12 meaning, uh, meaning uh, complete, or number 10 meaning complete as well, or 7 meaning perfection, or 4 representing humanity. If all those numbers are, are symbolic, then this 1,000 years maybe is a literal 1,000 years, but more likely it's, it's symbolic, uh, representing the perfect reign of God. 1,000, easy math, 10 times 10 times 10, right? We've been doing some of that gymnastics, right? 10 meaning complete, so the complete reign of God. He knows in his perfect timing everything is going to be good. What all three views ought to agree, and I hope what I, we see in the text here today as well, is that Jesus, he's already king. That even before the 1,000 years, literal or symbolic, that Jesus is already reigning, that on that cross when Jesus died and he rose again in the empty tomb, that Jesus is already reigning, that Jesus is already king over that situation, that Jesus is already king over your life, Jesus is already king over that diagnosis, that Jesus is already king over that relationship, over that brokenness, over, over the pain that you're experiencing. Jesus is already king and he's Lord and he knows and thirdly, what we ought to agree, no matter the view, no matter the interpretation, is that the gospel changes things. The gospel changes the way in which we live. There ought to be a difference between those that have received the gospel and those that have not yet received the gospel, that do not yet understand who Jesus is and what he has done. I had a rather silly decision that I didn't think I would need to wrestle with as much that happened about a month ago, and I'm still wrestling with it today. As, as you know, if you follow my Instagram, uh, Cohen uh, started playing Little League officially the last time. The coach was like, hey, like when we showed up to the game yesterday, he's like, oh, has Cohen played baseball before? It looks like he's played because decked him up in some gear, <laughs> you know, trying to make, you got to look the part uh, a little bit. So he showed up. It's like, oh, actually, no, he hasn't really played since T-ball. Uh, so this has been a, quite, a, quite a few years gaps. Like, okay, it, it, it's all right. So he got a hit, he got on base, and then on third base, it was, it was hilarious. The coach was like, okay, Cohen, if the ball passes, you just listen to my voice, okay? And you just run, and then you're going to slide. And then Cohen's like, I haven't been taught how to slide yet. Uh, I don't have to slide. It's like, uh, uh, don't worry, just put your foot in there, okay? You get in fine. Everything will be fine. But... The, the point is, I was wrestling with even signing him up for, for Little League because it was, it was fall ball and he signed up for Little League and the game's on Saturday. I'm like, that's great. But then the second game's on Sunday morning at this time. The second game was at 10 a.m. and you're sort of supposed to show up at 9 a.m. and the game runs from 10 to 12. And in that moment, I was, all that dialogue was going on in my head. It's like, well, it's, you know, is this a Sunday for two months? Is it going to be that big of a deal? Uh, you know, it's, 
what is he really missing? Maybe he can go half, uh, half, of, uh, half of the game on Sunday. We're going to take him out. Uh, what's going to go on? But in my heart, and I'm not judging nor am I saying really what is the right or wrong answer here. I'm thinking in my particular context, God was speaking to me, and, and I was wrestling with this real uh, situation here. That what is important for Cohen at this age, at this time? And, and the wrestling for me of whether I should put him into a Sunday game or pull him out, and he just plays on Saturdays, that was a very real wrestling. And I was reminded this week of it again that the gospel changes things. The gospel changes in the way that we think. The gospel changes the way in which we make decisions. The gospel changes the way that we relate to each other. The gospel changes the, the way that we, that we live in all of our lives. And I was, came out to this decision that, you know, the gospel is important too. That as, 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 as Cohen is coming to church and as the parent is dropping him off and, and allowing him to be exposed to the gospel, that is important. And maybe I'll, I'll put in some more extra practice time outside. Uh, and we'll, we'll catch him up and we'll play and, and spend that time, time together. But even for me, in that very silly example, which I'm actually not that proud of, maybe it's a big decision, maybe it's small, I don't know. For me, it's rather... A long, I took a long time of wrestling for that to go on. But we need to understand that as Christians, as we live, if we understand that the future belongs to Jesus and that the future is secure, the best is yet to come, and the gospel changes things, that it changes the way in which we live. And maybe you're going through such a decision today. Maybe you're going through a, a, some sort of wrestling as well. And I'm praying that God will speak to you and, and, and reveal himself to you. And we see in the text here today that you might be asking, why do we have to wrestle with things like that, like the silly example, or even the brokenness and the sin in the world and the pain and the suffering that we go through? Uh, maybe the pre-millennials are right. Uh, Jesus, uh, the thousand years hasn't happened yet. The reign of God hasn't happened yet because Satan still seems to be wreaking havoc. Well, we'll read in Revelation 20, verse 2, he seized the dragon, the ancient servant, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And what I love... Uh, what I love about, about this image uh, and what uh, Pastor Howard preached on last week is that really when Jesus shows up, there really isn't much of a fight. All right, well, like there's a whole lot of chaos going on, a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of planning. Jesus comes up and says something and the battle is over before it even starts. Right, that's the power of the God that, that we follow. The reality is that Satan is bound, but his henchmen, meaning the beasts of the land and beasts of the sea, remember those bad guys, you know, as my kids like to say, uh, those bad guys, like, they're, they're still wreaking havoc here on earth. And you're like, how can that be? Pastor Howard just preached on that last week, that, you know, evil's conquered and, and evil's bound, that Jesus, he's like a tattoo on his thigh, okay? Like, he's come and he's, he's conquered all things. Like, how can it be? Like, how can his henchmen be on the loose? Well, there's something throughout uh, Revelation, another theological word, if I'm going quickly, it's recapitulation. Uh, it's a hard word to pronounce, uh, it's a repeat of, of the same scenario that goes on. Recapitulates, that's the word. Uh, so it's actually here in, verse, in chapter 20, it's a, it's, a, it's a different vision of the same scene. Because as Daryl Johnson has been reminding us, if you've been reading his book, he keeps saying this, that what John sees next is not necessarily what happens next. Because of the way that Jesus reveals to John. So here's actually the same uh, explanation. Uh, it's, it's a different explanation, different angle of the same, same scene. So we see here that Satan, he's bound. 
He's bound. He, he's, he's thrown into the abyss, not the lake of fire yet, into the abyss. He's bound, but his henchmen are still causing pain and wrestling and evil. And the two henchmen are one of politics and one of religion. We've gone through that a few chapters back. So that's why in the world we still see there's political strife. We still see religious strife, that people believe and claim themselves to be God and Messiah and to be the Savior of the world. But they're actually, there's evil behind that. And if you flip back to uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, this word for bound, it shows up again. And it shows up in a way that Jesus is, uh, is compared to Beelzebub. Uh, uh, how like Jesus has an impure spirit and he's saying, well, how can that be? And also teaches in, in terms of how, how to bound and how to do spiritual warfare. And we read this in verse uh, 29, which I don't have it up there. Uh, Jesus says this, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless the first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder uh, his house. So here he's claiming that there's one that's coming as he's, he's casting out demons, as he's showing authority over the spiritual, uh, spiritual authority over the demons. He comes and says, there's a strong man, but there's one that's stronger that's going to come, and that's the word to bind up. So we see here that with the work of Jesus, as he, his, li his living ministry, as he's living every single day, he's already binding up Satan. He's already binding up evil. He's already, he's already, uh, he's already uh, um, uh, captured the powers that are, that, are, that are to be, and he's in control over all things. Read that in Matthew 12, 29, that Jesus is already doing the work. And on the cross, he's done it all the more. The work is finished. It is complete. And maybe that's encouragement for you today. Whatever it is you're wrestling with, whatever it is you're going through, whatever situation you have and you're thinking, I cannot see an end, Jesus is saying, it is done. I am in full control. Even though you may be going through what you're going through, that is not your, 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 your finality. That is not how the story ends, church, because I am in control. I know what's going on. And also, we can have this view that the best is yet to come, that the future is in Jesus' hands and is not in our hands. We also can know this because in Revelation 20, verse 4, we see how we as a church, we're not meant to have life in the future, but we're meant to have life right now. Verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Here we see throughout the whole book of Revelations, the witnesses of the church are being, uh, are being persecuted because of their testimony, because of their, their faith, the witness, the story about Jesus, and because of the word of God, meaning they took the word of God seriously and literally and said, I'm going to live this out, and got, them, got themselves into trouble. Why? Because they had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life. And reigned with Christ a thousand years. And here's the encouragement for us, church, this morning. That for those of us that have received the Spirit, that believe Jesus, that we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised them from the dead, that we have the Spirit alive in us, that we too come to life. That we to have this new life, even though outside we're wasting away, even outside we're wasting away, but day by day we know that God is good, that God is with us, that he's filling us in the inner being. 
even though we're suffering on the outside and life isn't what we thought it would be like and we're wrestling with some deep and dark things, we come to life and we're still reigning with Christ. We have already come to life. It's not only, and maybe this is new for you, we thought that new life, the new creation only comes. Yes, everything will be perfect. We'll get through Revelations 21, that everything will be perfect. That's only after I die and I'm, I'm with God in heaven. But this perfection, this, this, this uh, a glimpse of this perfection, this life, we can experience that here today. And the interactions all around us, interactions with our family, with our friends, at work, when we go out for, 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 for a kayak, go out scootering through the night. I was just reminded, as Pastor Howard shared that, and as Lavelle, uh, Pastor, uh, as Pastor Howard shared that, and, and Lavelle shared that experience, this is the idea that from the morning to evening, how, how good is God? Uh, this from the morning to, to the evening to when we sleep, God is good through it all, and he reveals himself to us, that we can receive that new life. And maybe today for you, you're like, I don't know, Doug, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm tired, I'm weak, and I'm broken, and life is hard, and I'm with you, and I hear you. But there's that reality here that even though, not a but, even though you're going through what you're going through, you still have this life that you can still experience joy, that it is possible, that that's what the Christian gospel gives us, that's what the resurrection of Christ gives us and, and allows us to experience, no matter, even though outside we're wasting away and everything is terrible, that inwardly we can have this peace like no other, that everything is going to be okay and nothing else and no one else in the world can ever give that to us. So the best is yet to come. And this world isn't it. The future belongs to Jesus. The future is in, not in our hands, but is in the God that we follow. And that's good news because I make a mess out of things. Maybe you're with me and you're like me. I'm glad that God is in control. But so what? Well, we can trust that God knows what he is doing. That maybe right now you're like, God, I don't hear you. I can't experience you. And this morning, we, we were reminded in the prayer course that God's silence, do not mistake God's silence with God's absence. That just because you may feel like he's silent, he's actually so close to you right now. That he's still around you, that he's still gonna, he's revealing himself to you, he's wanting this relationship with you, and we can trust that God knows what he is doing. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't know why you're in that situation I don't know why that happened in your life. I don't know why the question, to, to, to the questions that you might have, but I, what I do know and what, gos, what the gospel gives us and what revelations assures us is that we can trust them, that Jesus knows what he is doing. So what? We need to also put our hope, not just a trust, but also everything, all of our lives, our hope in Jesus but, and in no one else and in nothing else. Because thing, other people, other things, I, I, other, other, all other things and all other people in life will ultimately disappoint us, no matter what it is, because they're imperfect. But we need to put our hope in Jesus because he's our rock, he's our foundation, he's the one that knows all things, he's going to be that anchor. And I got another perspective yesterday, I'm sure all uh, 
the men and women that went off to their trips yesterday got a perspective of it. Yesterday, we got a chance to, we had a guide for the kayak, so we got a chance to go out in a deeper ocean, uh, water, not ocean, it's an inlet, uh, water a little bit. We got pretty close to the cargo ships. And as we get closer to cargo ships, our guide was like, we're supposed to be a few football fields away from them, but you know, my math is terrible and I don't really know, so we're here. Uh, so I'm like, we're pretty close right now. And we're able to see like the anchor that they dropped. Like, and I, I saw that, I'm like, that's a huge cargo ship. With huge ships, you need a huge anchor in order to secure it. And maybe you think you have a, a monumental size problem and issue in your life right now, but whatever that issue is, Jesus is that anchor. He's able to match whatever issue and even more. He is the immeasurable anchor, the one that grounds us, the one that gives us faith, the one that gives us hope, the one that helps us to live a life that is unshakable. In those moments when we say we can't, that's exactly the point because I can't either. But God can. Jesus can. He is that anchor. We need to put our hope in him. But also, I want to end with this, that we also have a responsibility to fulfill now. That whether this 1,000 years is literal or symbolic or not, the church is meant to rise up. And, and the church, God uses the church to meet the needs of every generation. That God uses the church to rise up and to say, there's a need here, church. This is your time. This is your situation. This is what's going on. It's time for you to rise up, to speak truth into that relationship, into that marriage, into your workplace, into the society, into culture, into school, into your friends. That church, we rise up in this moment to live out the faith that God has given us. And I was so encouraged. I was having a conversation with one of our church members this week. And she was just sharing about like, uh, the, the challenge of, of serving and where uh, she's meant to use her gifts and whatnot. And she was like, yeah, it was interesting. Before I decided to serve in this way, that uh, one person came up and mentioned it to me and said, hey, maybe you'll be good at this. And she was like, okay, maybe, kind of brushed it off. And then a little while longer, someone else came up to her and said, hey, maybe, hey, you ever thought about serving in this ministry? We just see these certain giftings in you. Maybe not. It's not to pressure you if you're in time of resting and all that kind of, you know, if you need that time. Uh, and she's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll pray about OC. And she's like, interesting, second time. And she's like, a third time came up, and the fourth time came up. And then she realized now that it was quite clear that God was saying something to her and no longer became about discernment and now became about disobedience for her. It was like, it was clear that God was saying something. And she was like, now, if I don't do something about it, that's just me disobeying. I was like, church, like that's, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's an example, but also a story in a, of a real-life wrestling for all of us, too, that God is reaching out to us, that we, too, have a responsibility to meet. I'm not even saying how big or small the task is. It, it actually doesn't matter because every task that God gives you is a big task, no matter what it is. It's a weighty task. But we are called to listen and to obey and to follow the God that we know can do all things. So, so what? So who can you share with, your faith with? Where is God asking you to be bold in? How is he asking you to be bold? How can, how can, how can you use your giftings as well? I'm not saying just in the church, physical church setting, but in all of life. Where is God calling you to steward the gifts that you've, you've called, called you to steward, whether it's relationships or spiritual gifts or what have you? There's a real challenge here for us to live up and to live to the calling that we have received. So, no matter your stance, 
whether you're pre, ah, or post, the new creation is coming. That's why it doesn't really matter which stance you ascribe to. Jesus wins. The future is secure. Jesus is coming back. Righteousness triumphs. We know also for those that reject Jesus, why, here's a question. I, I didn't say this earlier. I should have. Why is it that Jesus reigns for a thousand years and then allows Satan to come back for a little bit? What, what, what is about that? And some theologians theologize about it and say that maybe in those thousand years, people think everything is good. Life is good. I follow Christ. All things are good. But when Satan comes, that's when the real testing comes. And it tests them again. They're like, actually, I never believed in any of that. I never followed through with any of that. So there's another, uh, so, so there's, a, there's a truth here as well that not only does righteousness triumph, but those who resist God in the end will be punished. Ultimately, even though God is so gracious and gives a thousand years as a long time, it's a long time, there will still be people that reject Jesus. And, and, and the pathway for those that reject is suffering, it's pain. And ultimately, at the end, though, the devil doesn't win. And you might be thinking, you might, we have had so many conversations around the world. You might be feeling like devil is winning in my life. The devil is winning in the world. Just look all around. But the truth here this morning, church, that is not true. That is a lie. Because we see here in the passage that Satan, he's the master of deception. He wants to tell you that there is no God. He wants to tell you that you're not worth it. He wants to tell you that you're useless. He wants to tell you that Jesus doesn't love you. He wants to tell you that God doesn't want a relationship with you and that you are all alone, but that couldn't be further from the truth this morning. That God is there, that God is with you, and we can look in, onto the cross every single day and say, without a doubt, that Jesus loves us, that he wins, that all things are going to be good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are reigning and that you win. But Father, this morning as a church, we are on our knees pleading, God, for the state of our world, for what is going on. But God, we're also saying that we want to experience you. Give us faith this morning to believe that you are good. Give us faith this morning to believe that you are are reigning and alive and on the throne because there are things in our lives that sure doesn't seem like it. There are things in our lives that we're not proud of. There's mistakes and words and decisions that we made that we're not proud of. But this morning, we, we say thank you that you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. That God, you are true no matter what is going on in the world. In your name we pray, amen.